You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ain't no stopping them now. They're on the move. It's October 14, 1980. The city of Philadelphia is buzzing with excitement as their Phillies get set to play in their first World Series in 30 years. Just two nights ago, the Phillies knocked off the Houston Astros in a wild NLCS that went a full five games. Now they're back home, ready to take on the well-rested Kansas City Royals in the seven-game Fall Classic. There's been so many things that's held them down. But after 30 years, Dallas Green has brought them around. I know they've had so many miseries, but they'll end up winning the World Series. And they won't let Kansas There was an air of confidence around the Delaware Valley. It was cemented by the Philadelphia R&B duo McFadden and Whitehead, changing the lyrics to their smash hit Ain't No Stopping Us Now to provide the Phillies an anthem that could blow away the Pirates, We Are Family. Broadcaster Chris Wheeler was among many close to the team who thought the Phillies were unstoppable now that they had gotten by the dreaded league championship series. But he also knew that the Royals had a stacked lineup and the same hunger as the Phils to pick up their first ever World Series title. You know, they had guys like Otis and Akins and of course George Brett, who was becoming a great player. Kansas City, they may have George Brett, but the KC Royals ain't seen nothing yet. Kansas City, they had better watch out, cause McGraw and Carlton are gonna strike them out. They were good. I mean, they beat the Yankees. So, you know, you beat the Yankees in Yankee Stadium to get into the thing. We knew they were a formidable team to play. Kansas City, I know, is a super team, but the Philly fanatic, he's just as mean. Now, we know the fans have been let down before, but in the 80 World Series, watch them even the score. The stage was set, the vet waiting. The culmination of the organization's years of hard work began on a Sunday night in South Philadelphia. Welcome back to Philly's Throwbacks, presented by Toyota. I'm your host, Scott Palmer. This is the fifth and final episode of the first series of this new podcast, centered on the story of the 1980 Phillies. In the last episode, we followed the Phillies down to Houston, where they became a team that wouldn't die, defeating the Astros in five incredible games to take the National League pennant. A group nearly a decade in the making finally had a chance to bring home a World Series title. With fewer than two days to rest, the Phillies headed home to open the World Series against the Royals. Kansas City had just dominated the New York Yankees in the ALCS, sweeping them in three games. Future Hall of Famer George Brett and the Royals got to take a few days off as the Phillies battled for their lives in the Astrodome. While Kansas City was well-rested and had its rotation set, the Phillies were running on fumes and scrambling to figure out who would take the ball in Game 1. Steve Carlton and Marty Bystrom had just pitched in Houston. Dick Ruthven came out of the bullpen to hold Game 5. So it was up to another rookie in a big situation. 
Dallas Green handed the ball to 23-year-old Bob Walk in the biggest moment of his life. The unconventional next-man-up Phillies weren't about to change their ways in the Fall Classic. Introduced the National League and American League champions to a packed veteran stadium crowd. The Royals in their light blue uniforms and the Phillies in their white and maroon home pinstripes line the foul lines. Bob Walk warmed up in the bullpen just next to the Royals starter, the three-time 20-win pitcher, Dennis Leonard. The Phillies, on the other hand, are starting Bob Walk, really their number five pitcher, and after the games in the Astrodome, a very tired bullpen. So I think going into game one, pitching-wise, Kansas City has a distinct advantage. Dallas Green, the manager, being introduced now. Last to be introduced was Phillies manager Dallas Green. From the jump, Green was not popular with the Phillies players. He was hard on them. He chewed them out. He talked about them to the media. He demanded excellence, and he controlled every aspect of the team. But Green was hired to push this talented Phillies team over the hump and to the finish line. Now Green was fielding an overwhelmingly positive reception as he jogged out of the dugout by grateful Phillies fans and a team that had come to appreciate his leadership and his intelligence. In the end, I turned into love in Dallas. Catcher Bob Boone. We became really good friends, and you know he he was part of it. He was a big part of us winning. When we went into that Houston series, Kansas City, it, it was a di complete different feeling. I mean, everybody was so serious. Everybody's like, like I said, do or die, and that's what we were willing to do. The Phillies took the field as their nicknames flashed upon the big screen in center field at the vet. Names like Vuk, Tugger, Rufus elicited cheers from the big crowd. Under the scoreboard read, Welcome to the 1980 World Series. Flashbulbs popped as Bob Walk delivered the first World Series pitch in Philadelphia since 1950. The worn down Phillies fell behind early in game one. Amos Otis took walk deep for a two-run homer in the second inning. Nobody out. Well hit, left field. Smith going back. That ball's out of here. Home run for Amos Otis. And his crowd, some 65,000, really still as Otis seemed to reach out and hit that ball. Then in the third, Willie Aikens added another two-run shot, and the Phillies quickly found themselves in a 4-0 hole. High, deep right center field. McBride going back, Maddox going back, home run! With the game slipping away, Larry Boa tried to light a spark. He singled to center and locked his eyes squarely on second base. And Dallas had a, a hold sign on because he usually had me run on my own. And I looked in our dugout and we were tired. We were a tired team. And I just tried, I said, you know what, I got a chance to steal on this base. If I get thrown out, I might as well keep going. But I made it. There he goes. There's the strike, the throw, save. That inning turned into a three-run inning. And, you know, at that time, you don't think you ignited a team to keep going. But I did know we were down. We were drained. Dallas would have grabbed me by the neck probably and said, what are you doing? Did you see the sign hold? Because when I scored the run, he says, you know you had the hold on. I said, I know. He says, well, I'm glad you're safe. I said, so am I. <laughs> One of those, no, 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 no. Yay, nice going. Phillies broadcaster, Chris Wheeler. That's kind of lit things up a little bit. Bob Boone stayed in the batter's box after the stolen base, still battling his injuries that plagued him during the regular season. They had gotten worse through collisions at the plate in Houston. But Booney was hot at the plate. He pushed away the pain 
and focus on his next hit. And I found that in my career, I always hit really well in the series of where I had to. Lonnie Smith, who got the start and left over Greg Luzinski, used his speed to force a rundown and allowed another run to score. A rattled Leonard, then hit Pete Rose and walked Mike Schmidt. No worries, with two outs, the Royals avoided two mighty weapons and just had to get past Bake to Fry. Shake and Bake made him pay. five-run inning put the Phillies in the lead and put Bob Walk in line for the win. He settled in and pitched eight innings, while another Boone RBI double and a Maddox sacrifice fly added to the Phillies' lead. Tug McGraw closed out the ninth, and the Phillies took game one, seven to six. That's a very calm Tug McGraw, but underneath that, if he can get the third out, watch him, he'll be as wild as the people in the stand. The stand standing up, listen to the crowd. They'll umpire, they'll broadcast it. Bright lights flashed on the scoreboard and right and read first World Series win since 1915. You know, the whole thing was a bit of a fairy tale at the end of the year. Game two, Phillies looking to take command in the series. There was one man Dallas wanted on the mound. On short rest after a draining start in Houston four days earlier, Steve Carlton got the nod. Lefty had a chance to use his dominant stuff in front of a wild veteran stadium crowd. He shut down the Royals' power-hitting lineup for six innings. One strikeout. Carlton registers 8.5 strikeouts per nine innings. A breaking ball got him. That was a hellacious curveball. Well, he has just absolutely an awesome breaking ball. They'll commit to that pitch, and you'll see a lot of strikeouts. Larry Boa and Manny Trio delivered to give the Phils a 2-0 lead. But in the seventh, the Royals' powerful bats came alive and put up four runs against lefty Steve. Line drive, base hit, down a left field line, one run in. Here comes Chop, two runs are in. Digging hard, McRae, they're going to hold him up at third. He's going to have to dive back, and he does. Off the handle, center field, tagging up is McRae. Should be deep enough, tagging up at second base. Here's a throw to the plate, and it is cut off. Rose should get him at third. They got him hung up. Otis is hung up, and he is tagged out. Otis very wildly, wisely stopped and gotten a rundown, so he would not be tagged out before the runner, McCray, cost home plate. So the run does count. A four spot against a team's ace late in a World Series game is demoralizing and usually hard to overcome. But the Phillies had been through much worse. Dallas Green turned toward the clubhouse and barked, Dell, grab a bat. The scoreboard lit up with bright text reading, it's Dell time, as Dell Unser came up to the plate. Fans had come to expect a lot from Unser, who had been consistently clutch in important moments for the 80 Phils. Dell time worked for the Phillies yet again. The roar for Dell Unser who was the big hero in that championship series. His father, a former major leaguer, is here watching the game. And I'm sure all of Decatur, Illinois, is watching it. And this is the test for Quisenberry right now because he'll face Unser, Rose, and McBride, three left-handed hitters. It, it was Quisenberry. I think got all three hits in the series off Quisenberry. I heard he's really slow, and you got to almost look for a changeup because he didn't throw hard at all. He just had great movement and great command. and. I waited and waited and waited and, and, and uh, drove the ball to left center and was just very excited. <laughs> left center field, another base hit. Bob Boone digging hard all the way to the ball. They're going to send him in. It'll be four to three. Listen to the crowd. Unser's double was the spark. Off lockdown reliever Dan Quisenberry, the American League leader in saves that season, the Phillies followed Dell's lead and put up four runs in the eighth to retake the lead. High chopper, base hit, 
Ron Reed gave Tug a night off and looked to get a World Series save of his own. Tony Kubik, Tom Seaver, and Joe Garagiola, I think, did that World Series. Prior to the second game, we were in the clubhouse, and those three guys came in. Tony Kubik said, hey, guys, congratulations. Last night was the largest TV audience in the history of World Series. So now we go into the second game. I'm coming in in the ninth inning, and we've got a 2-1 lead. And I'm walking to the mound, and what do you think went through my mind? 50 million people are going to be out there watching me. And one thing I learned a long time ago, there's no place to hide out there. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, don't mess this up. There's 50 million people or whatever that number was that he told us. I only had one thing on my mind. I did not want Tug to come in and save me again. And uh, it worked out. Uh, it worked out real good. Reed, two balls, two strikes, two outs. Two games at the cold, crowded vet and two comeback wins for the Phillies. They had a two-game-to-nothing lead in the World Series, and the city could taste its elusive title. Two-to-nothing lead going to Kansas City meant one thing for sure. Third baseman Mike Schmidt. You were coming back to the vet. <laughs> you're, you're, you're coming back to the vet, and if you win one in their ballpark, you only have to win one at home to win it all. And that's the way it turned out. Let me put it this way. Phillies broadcaster, Chris Wheeler. All you can do in a, a seven-game series at home is win the first two. And then you go from there. But, you know, then it got a little hairy out there. The Phillies packed up and set out for Kansas City, needing just two wins in three games to clinch the title without even coming back home to Philadelphia. But as broadcaster Chris Wheeler packed up, he knew his trip wouldn't be the same. Wheel still did PR work for the Phillies and was needed in Kansas City, but he wouldn't be on the air with beloved Phillies broadcasters Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. A national network rule had prohibited local broadcasters from calling the World Series. The Phillies family was gutted. Fans who had developed a special relationship with Harry and Whitey were robbed of hearing their victorious call. Very disappointing. You know, Larry had gotten everybody a seat up there in the press box somewhere. I think I hung out in the scoreboard area. and I remember sitting with Paul Richardson for a while, the organist, and just kind of bouncing around because uh, it was hard to sit still, uh, especially when you're not doing the game. I don't know how you be a fan. It was very disappointing, and we knew it, you know, but it really got magnified in the World Series by the fans. And, of course, our fans went bananas, and baseball changed it after that. And don't worry. Harry would get more chances to call the Phillies in the World Series. Game three, Kansas City, Missouri. In front of a home crowd of nearly 43,000, it was time for the Royal Stars to shine. George Brett left game two early after dealing with hemorrhoids. The league's batting champion, though, was back in game three and announced his presence immediately. Big part of the ballpark. Royal hit. This ball may be out of here. It is one nothing. Listen to this crowd. Dick Ruthven settled in and kept the Phillies close enough to stage another comeback. After a tough NLCS, Mike Schmidt rediscovered his home run swing and tied the game in the fifth. Drill deep. Left field, it is high in the air toward the bullpen. Willie Wilson, it is tied up at two. Mike Schmidt hits a home run very high into the bullpen for the Phillies in left field. Seems like these Phillies really can't get going until they get behind. The Phillies lost the lead, but tied the game again in the eighth, sending game three into extras. But the Phillies' recent experience couldn't help them in this game. Game four, 
Kansas City. The Phillies aiming to take a stranglehold, three to one lead in the series. Larry Christensen got the start on the mound after a season of overcoming injuries, but it was clear right from the start that something wasn't right. A lot of that, a lot of that 80 World Series is is kind of a, a blur to me because it was such a kind of a bad time. Um, when we left Philadelphia to go to Kansas City, I was told that my father was in a coma in the hospital and he had an aneurysm. And what do I do? Do I, am I, you know, man up? What do I do? do is the right thing to, do I go to him? Do I leave? The, I couldn't leave the team and go to him. But now you get me with game four. Let's make this short and sweet because it was. I warmed up and I remember there was some mumbling going behind me and it was like Dickie Knowles and Soche and Bruce Starr back there behind, you know, they were down the bullpen early and they were going, man, I think we're gonna get to pitch in the World Series watching me warm up. And I knew I didn't, I didn't have much, you know, and then Herm Sturette gets down to the dugout. I don't think I've ever told this before, but Dallas Green, his voice is really loud, right? So I get down into the dugout, Dallas says to Herm Sturette, says, hey Herm, what's he got? And Herm said to him, he says, he ain't got bleep, Dallas. And there I was sitting on the bench going, oh my God, you know, what a comment by my pitching coach. LC tried to be there for his team, but wasn't able to get out of the first inning as the Royals opened up a four-run lead. I mean, I tried to knock Willie Mays Akins on his rear end, and I threw it out over the plate, and he hits the home run. I remember the pickoff throw. I thought it was a perfect throw to first base. It went under Pete's glove. The first batter, Willie Wilson, hits it. Larry Boa times it, right? I think he catches the ball. But I, George Brett hit a ball over the bag. I mean, he could have hit it right to Pete Rose, but it went over the bag. And it happened so fast. And then Dallas comes out, and he grabs the ball out of my glove, and it's I'm, I'm out. Kansas City had found its groove. They were on their way to tie the series, and they were enjoying it a lot. Well, back in those days, you know, you didn't do all the hot dogging they do nowadays. Chris Wheeler. When Willie Mays Akins was doing that stuff, waving his hat all over the place, you didn't do that. You didn't do that stuff back in those days. Because if you did, you paid for it. Dickie Knowles was on the mound in relief. He took exception to the celebrations and decided to send a message to the Royals star player. When George Brett came up in the fifth, Knowles threw one high and inside. Dickie in those days was a little out of control. And this was a day game. So who knew if he'd even been asleep yet? So anyway, he was actually the perfect guy to have in there because they had opened up that lead. And I think he had made up his mind that he was going to hit Willie Mays Aikens. But Brett was up there and Aikens was on deck and he wound up buzzing George Brett. Two strikes on Brett. Down he goes. Two strike throw balls and he really low bridged him. Brian wants to go after him. Fred is the calmest guy here. Now Rose is challenging Fry. The other umpires have come in. Gordy McKenzie from third has come in to calm Jimmy down. He wants no one, Jimmy Fry, messing with the man you call the franchise last night, George Brett. It's greatest prospect pitch I've ever seen. Mike Schmidt. And his feet went flying, and he landed on his back in the batter's box, and benches started to empty. And I remember Jim Fry coming out of the bench, pointing his finger at Dickie Knowles, and I remember Pete Rose intercepting him uh, before he got to the white line. And everything kind of quieted down a little bit, but they were mad. I mean, they, they were pissed off, the Royals. It totally changed the momentum of the, of the series, totally changed it. Brett was already feeling the pain, of his hemorrhoids and was now knocked onto the ground. Pete Rose yelled back at Royals manager Jim Fry while Knowles pleaded innocence to the umpires. No one was thrown out, but a message was sent. The Royals would only score four runs in their next two games. Strike is called, he'll hear a boom. There is Dallas Green, he was warned by Denkinger. The message is clear. Kansas City took game four, five to three, and even the series at two games apiece. Game five in Kansas City would be pivotal before the two teams came back to Philadelphia. Marty Bystrom was on the mound. 
He'd barely been in the big leagues for a month, and here he was, pitching in a crucial World Series game. Hard Marty stayed cool and found a groove early. I went right to that low and away outside corner on Willie Wilson and Willie Mays Aikens and struck them both out in the first inning. So I walk off there with two strikeouts in the first inning, which is like, wow, okay, you know, I'm on today. Aikens called out on strikes, so that ends the inning. We complete one inning to play here. The Phillies drew first blood in the fourth off the bat of the league's MVP, who was building his case for series MVP as well. Well hit, center field. Otis is going back near the warning track. It is a home run, two nothing Phillies. Little quiet here at Royal Stadium as Mike Schmidt hits his second home run of this series and the Phillies lead two to nothing. Fake McBride and Manny Trio connected on yet another relay from the outfield to keep the lead as the game went on. The Phillies were in control. Fake and Manny, they were inseparable. They really were good friends, but you're dealing with two tremendous talents. Bake had a tremendous arm in right field. Bake was very fundamentally sound. He could hit the cutoff man. And when you hit Manny Trio as a cutoff man, he could throw from a long way out too. So he just made two perfect relays with that fabulous arm of his. One in the playoffs and, and then that one that afternoon that helped save those games. But in the sixth, the Royals managed three runs off Bystrom to take the lead. As the sun began to set in Kansas City and Game 5 entered the ninth inning, a series the Phillies once controlled began to feel like it was slipping away. Breaking ball hit deep to left field. He hung a curveball. Lasinski is tied at two. Hurdle will tag up. Lasinski will have to go to second base as Carter was tagging up. Here comes Hurdle. Wilds lead three to two. The cardiac kids had to do it again. Mike Schmidt led off the inning, and as he walked to home plate, he noticed that third baseman George Brett was playing very far in. It was as if he were preparing for a bunt. Schmidt knew why. One of the biggest, biggest hits in my history, in the Phillies history, was a bunt that I laid down in a game when uh, we were getting shut out, I believe, in the game. I dropped a drag bunt down the third baseline. George Brett was playing back and I dropped a perfect bunt. What that did was put in their mind that, you know, I had the ability to drop a bunt. And the next day when I came up, we were down. I saw Jim Fry screaming at George Brett, move in, move in, move in, he might bunt, move in, he might bunt. Well, there was no way that I would bunt. And I hit a ground ball to George Brett's left. Now, if he was playing back, it would have been an out. But the fact that I bunted the game before got him to have him move in even with the base, and that got me another base hit. Hot smash, Brett knocks it down. It's a base hit for Mike Schmidt, tying run is on. And the threat of Mike Schmidt bunting, done it twice in the series, kept George Brett in tight at third base, even with a bag, and it may still pay dividends. If he's back another 10 or 12 feet where he normally would be, that's an easy play for George Brett. With a chance to tie the game, there was almost no one the Phillies wanted at the plate more than Dell Unser. And Dell delivered again. One strike pitch. Hot smash. Pass Aikens in the right field. Schmidt can run. He's running hard. He's running third. They're going to try to score him. Here comes the throw. They'll not get him. We're tied. Dell Unser again comes through. A big base hit. It's uh, very exciting to be able to produce, and now, now we're going to uh, take that flight home and people out seeing you. Uh, you know, it's just a, a special, special time. Uh, most decent pinch hitters probably have a little age on them <laughs> because they've been through all that. They've been through the wars a little bit, and uh, you, f you find out how, how it is. I'm sure uh, Matt Stairs feel the same way. Keith Moreland bunted Unser to third, but a ground out by Maddox couldn't bring him home. Two outs now, with Manny Trio at the plate, and he smacked the ball off of Quisenberry, then used his speed to knock in a series-changing run.
4-3 Philadelphia. To the ninth, Tug McGraw, now more worn down than ever, allowed two base runners with one out. Slugger Hal McRae locked in and barreled a tough breaking ball to left. It came just feet away from shifting this series entirely. McGraw trying to pitch out of a jam, one out. Well hit the field, near the stands, Unser there. Can't get it foul, just barely foul. It was awful. <laughs> Chris Wheeler. I, I was down in the clubhouse and the crowd, you can hear the crowd roaring down the clubhouse. We can feel the place, you know, the, the rumbling. And I'm thinking, oh no, and there's a delay and all that. And it sounds like they're calling a home run, a game winning home run. And the ball goes foul. And Tug, of course, does the great heart pounding thing. Look at Tug, that says it all. Look at that, his pacemaker just blew. Tug was out of bullets. Shortstop, Larry Boa. Let's face it, I mean, we used him, we rode Tug hard. You know, once that ball went foul, that was an omen. You know, when things like that happen, in your mind you're saying, you know what, we're meant to win this. Tug looked back at Boone and tapped his hand on his heart repeatedly. Booney went to the mound to have a chat. I think it was a time when Schmidt came over to the mound too. I, I walked, I got to the mound, I said, isn't this something? It's pretty mean. I said, look at all these people here. Think of all the cameras that are on us. This is unbelievable. This is, we've never played in front of this many people. This is awesome. Isn't this awesome? I mean, we're in a World Series here and, and we got all these people looking at us and this is awesome. Isn't this? Look around here. <laughs> Base is loaded. Winning run in scoring position. With his head on straight after the pep talk, Tug McGraw closed the door. Philadelphia Phillies defeat the Kansas City Royals by the score of 4-3. And now the Phillies head back to Philadelphia, leading in this series three games to two. Dear Phillies fans, drive a true winner, the Toyota Camry. The Camry is the best-selling car in America for 18 years. Now that is a championship tradition. Plus, the Camry, with available all-wheel drive, offers a true competitive edge. Contact your local Toyota dealer or visit buyatoyota.com to get yours today. And you could drive off in victory. Toyota. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY 2002-2019 sales includes Camry Solera. October 21st, 1980, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Phillies lead the Royals three games to two in the World Series. The Cardiac Kids mounted comebacks in all three of their wins in the series and now sat on the doorstep of history. Two games in Philadelphia, one win at the Vet and the Phillies would be champions for the first time ever. And to add to the confidence, the Phils had their ace, the future Hall of Famer, Steve Carlton on the mound. Game six looked like it would be the night. I told people this thing's over. Larry Boa. We had Carlton going in game six at the vet. Never won a World Series there. and The crowd was going to be crazy. I knew we were going to win that game. The Phillies were so confident that on the drive to the ballpark, Mike Schmidt and Tug McGraw could already picture the ending in their minds. They stopped to grab an ice cream cone and did some planning. It seems like the final out of the World Series always ends up on Sports Illustrated. So I said, hey man, wait for me to get in there. I want to get in that picture. They kind of uh, had a game plan. Marty Bystrom. I'll come over and I'll jump up on top of you, blah, blah, blah. You felt really good. Chris Wheeler. You know, having been through so much stuff and you know what can happen at any time, you're feeling really, really good, especially with the big boy out there like that, you know, because lefty. He was ready to go that night. I mean, he's another guy who pitched a ton of innings, and he was on he was on fumes like everybody, and he did a great job that night. Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. A beautiful night for baseball, 60 degrees, and these Philly fans are really ready, as I'm sure you can hear in the background. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Garagiola, and we're getting ready for game six. We're going to have over 65,000 cheering fans here in Philadelphia. They're expecting the kind of a game they've been watching throughout this series. The Phillies took the field under the Vets' bright lights and the most electric atmosphere in the stadium's history. The largest TV audience to ever watch a World Series game to that point tuned in across the world. I walked in to the clubhouse because Larry had sent me down there to help out with post-game. Chris Wheeler. And there's that trophy sitting there. Ugh. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I remember saying to myself, oh, God, there it is. Don't screw it up now. Carlton may have been tired, but his dynamic arm didn't show it. Lefty did not allow a hit until the fourth inning and kept the Royals' powerful bats quiet. But one thing to remember is that he's got an extra day's rest. This is his sixth day that he's pitching. That extra day's rest could give a pitcher a little bit of pop, and he certainly looks like he's throwing very hard. He did to Willie Wilson, the first hitter up. Lefty was so locked in, it seemed like just one big hit would be enough to get the Phillies a win. In the third, Michael Jack delivered just that. Base hit, right field. Here comes one run in. Smith is going to score. Heading for third is Rose. And it's a two to nothing ball game. A little bit down. Schmidt really rifles it. He continues to have an excellent series with the glove and the bat. Now has seven runs batted for the series. Schmidt pumped his fist high in the air toward the dugout at first base. He came through with that big hit again and could feel the weight of the 65,838 screaming fans on top of him. Bake McBride added an insurance run in the fifth. Bob Boone, who played every inning of the World Series on two aching knees, added another in the sixth. Lefty threw seven scoreless innings, helped by Larry Boa adding to his series record seven double plays. The Phillies looked unstoppable. Tug took over in the eighth. The Royals scored one run from a Carlton base runner, and the game headed into the ninth inning with the Phillies leading four to one. Tugger had a lead to work with, but he was also drained. Every warm-up pitch he threw to Bob Boone before the most important inning of his life was high. Booney went to have a word. And what a lot of people don't know is <laughs> Tug was always scared to death. One of the things he did when he pounded the glove on his leg it was because he was really nervous. So he came into this game and he'd been pitching so great. And all of a sudden, he's throwing it high, warming up. And he walks the first two hitters and every pitch is high. And when he throws the first pitch, he looks at me. I mean, his eyes were like, I know, Bob, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. But I know you know, and you're going to figure it out. So hurry up and figure this out and come and tell me. And I'm watching him and I'm watching everything. Where's the ball coming out of his hand? Is his elbow too low? Is he striding too short? And I'm looking and looking, and I'm really bearing down, and he keeps throwing it high. I go, well, I've got to go talk to him, but I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so I'm walking him out really slow because I'm trying to think, what am I going to tell him? I know i got to come out here because he's getting more and more nervous. And so I get to, I get to the dirt. I said, Tuggles. He's looking at me like, yeah, you're going to tell me something I know. And I said, everything's high. And I pivoted and I walked back. <laughs> when I got back to the home plate, I look out there and he's just laughing. <laughs> and all of a sudden he turned into Tug McGraw. <laughs> McGraw struck Amos Otis out looking, but a walk and two singles loaded the bases quickly for Kansas City. The tying run was now on first. Frank White represented the go-ahead run at the plate. The tugger needed a break to go his way. The baseball gods owed the Phillies after years of heartbreak. Their presence was felt as the Phillies pulled off what was perhaps the most dramatic play in franchise history. That was another omen I went, you know what, we're not going to lose this. this. Too many things are happening, going right for us, and uh, I can't see us blowing this game. White hit a high pop-up in foul territory. It was barely in play and falling fast toward the Phillies' dugout. Bob Boone threw off his mask and began running far away from home plate. He tracked the ball as he got toward the dugout. At first base, Pete Rose had gotten a late jump. I'm running to catch it, but I'm, I'm listening for the fielder 
to call me off. It's a much easier play for him. It's way down. It's near the end of the dugout. I'm not even supposed to be there. That's Pete Rose's ball all the way. Boone got closer, but didn't have a good read on it. He expected Rose, known as Charlie Hustle, to beat him to the ball and call him off at any second. He waited to hear his voice. He never did. And I'm listening. I'm going, come on, Pete, call it. Where are you? I'm expecting him to be there. And I know, because I'm looking up, but I know we're close to the dugout. And my thought is, I'm going to go for this ball, and Pete's going to hit me, and we're both going in the dugout. The ball got closer. Boone put his glove in the air. He didn't know it, but Rose was now right behind him as the ball fell into his glove and then popped right out. I reach for it, pops out of my glove. I want to kill myself, and I want to kill Pete. It's popped up. Boom, Rose, they'll have a play. Boom, dropped it, and Rose caught it. Rose was right there. It popped out of his glove, and Rose made the play. All of a sudden, I'm looking at it, trying to reach down, and there comes his glove in front of my eyes, and he catches the ball, and I wanted to kiss it. The ball fell to the ground for a half second as Philadelphia let out a collective gasp. Then Rose struck out his glove and made the catch himself. A routine play became high drama, typical for the 1980 Phillies, and they were now just an out away from a World Series championship. How much Pete Rose hustled. He came over to help out if he needed the help. It scoots away, and Rose keeps it from going in the dugout. So they get it out, the hustle of Pete Rose. Charlie hustled my ass. I'm the guy that, I'm the guy that hustled on this play, <laughs> and it turned out pretty good. <laughs> With the bases still loaded, Willie Wilson had the season resting on his shoulders. But Willie Wilson in that in that whole series kept missing the fastball. And it all came down to we were setting that last pitch up to be a fastball. Ron Reed warmed up in the bullpen. If Tug couldn't get the last out, Reed was going in. Before Tug went in the game, he had picked up his glove and was nearly bitten by a German Shepherd police dog waiting by the dugout. As Reed warmed up, Tug noticed those dogs were on the move. So were mounted police officers on horses. They were everywhere. And that's, that's, that was part of the anticipation of winning this thing. Left fielder Greg Luzinski. Actually, I think uh, whoever did that put more pressure on Kansas City at that particular time because uh, they were saying, hey, we got this thing bottled up. The drama built as the mounted police and police dogs crew built a barrier around the veteran stadium warning track. It added to the chaos in the stands. What the heck is this? Third baseman Mike Schmidt. They have police on horseback here. What if I have to go over there and catch a foul ball or something? Tug and Boone had no time to worry about the chaotic scene going on around them. They locked in. It is two strikes on Willie Wilson. Base is loaded. Two outs. What pressure on McGraw, what pressure on Wilson. One strike now away from ending nearly a century without a championship. One strike away from completing the vision Ruley Carpenter, Paul Owens, and Dallas Green created. One strike away from doing something no Phillies team had ever done before. Tug looked in and got his sign from Booney. The crowd will tell you what happens. Willie Wilson swung right through for strike three. Tug threw his arms up and leaped in the air in an iconic shot that all Phillies fans have come to know and love. He turned to his right, arms still raised, and waited for Schmitty, just as he promised he would. Michael Jack leaped on Tug just as the rest of the team reached the mound. He struck out Willie Wilson and turned to look toward me and raised his arms in the air, and I come sprinting in there and I dove on him and. Uh, I still have that big photo of the whole team uh, celebrating with where I dove up on top of the pile and uh, uh, 
I never did make Sports Illustrated, I don't think, but... Boone threw his arms in the air, more in relief and exasperation. He trotted slowly to tug, not because he was waiting for Schmidt. They talked about me, I just walked out there, but I had actually broken my foot in the Houston series. And those two plays of the two plays of the plate and and I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk out this mound and then that's why after the game we when we won it, I just put my arms up in the air, walked toward the mound. Pete Rose waved his hat in the air as he sprinted toward the pile. Larry Boa leaped on the mound by himself before joining his teammates. The scoreboard in right field lit up with the giant blinking words reading, World Champions. I just said finally, finally. I mean, all the hard work, all the ground balls, all the extra hitting, the group that came up together through the minor league system. We had a bond together, and finally we got to be able to put a bow on the package. I mean, that was the ultimate. Anytime you can say we were the best team in 1980 in baseball, I mean, that, 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 tells, it all, that tells you all you want to know about it. And uh, we, we had to win two out of three in Montreal. We were down to Houston. We came down and back and beat them. We were up two to nothing, and Kansas City tied us, and then we win that. So the accumulation of everything, uh, it was, it, you know, you sit back and you say, man, that was worth it. All those hard work, all those hours, it was worth it. You know, you want to get into the locker room and clubhouse, and you want to hug everybody, and you want to spray some champagne, and you want to cry, and you want to tell everybody you love them. Uh, you know how many years that you watched that series on TV and wished that you were there, wished it was you, and all of a sudden it is you. And it's a, it's a tremendous sense of relief and accomplishment. Dallas Green hugged the players he fought with just months ago. He raised his fist and pointed his index finger toward the fans as he was mobbed by the dugout. His message was clear. They were number one. Dallas, it has been a season of confrontation, uh, a season of, of some displays that you would sooner forget, I'm sure, a season of tension for you. Um, the moment is worth it. We're world champions. There's a lot of people in baseball didn't think we could be. I knew in my heart we could be. I think in September, from then on, our ball players knew we could be. Paul Ons knew we could be, and he, he's the guy that directed this thing all the way. I'm proud of everybody at, on our baseball team. The chaos in the stands and throughout the Philadelphia region was unlike anything the city had experienced. An all-night party began. In the locker room, players shared hugs with each other, as well as with owner Ruley Carpenter and general manager Paul Owens. Those two men had officially built a champion. Paul Owens couldn't stop kissing everyone. Paul Owens, you have been through the bad times with this team. You have, you have been here when people call it a country club atmosphere that could not win. The man on your right, um, how much of the credit does he take? I know he wants to give it to his players. How much do you want to give to him? I want to give a lot of them because the man went down and did the job that he knew that he and I knew that we had to do and the players responded and it may took four or five months to get it across but he did it and I'm so damn proud because it probably was the best move I ever made in my whole baseball career. Well I think you have to point the finger at Dallas Green. Philly's PR director Larry Shank. He did it. He, he did it his way and it worked but the players you know, to their credit, once the game started and they crossed the white lines, all the bickering was gone, you know. And we were a very talented team, but we were getting older. And we were running out of time, and we, we beat Father Time, <laughs> so to speak. Mike Schmidt was named MVP. Chris Wheeler was tasked with grabbing Schmitty and getting him to the reporters as soon as possible for his MVP presser. Wheels was so good at his job, he didn't get Schmidt a chance to be on TV to get his MVP interview. Shanky says to me before I get down there, hey, Mike Schmidt's going to be MVP if we win. you got to get him down to the, the interview room. And back in those days, that was really important. You know, I know people laugh now, but newspapers are really – so I told him he was the MVP. I'm the first one to tell him that. I said, you're the MVP. So, oh, so I take him down there, and he misses the whole – all the TV. And, 
Then he starts talking about his grandmother, didn't get a chance to see him, and I'm feeling awful. I did my job too well. The party lasted through the night and right into the next day into a parade down Broad Street. Every Phillies player showed up, maybe a bit groggy, but still riding that wave of excitement. Well, almost every player, that is. My wife and my two little girls went back to Atlanta for school. Pitcher Ron Reed. I had packed up all my stuff, and I was going to leave after, after that game and go home to see my family. I don't know why. I had no excuse. I just had no clue that there was going to be any parade. When that game was over, I didn't drink much champagne. I had a little bit, but I went and I had a, my, my van all loaded up, and I took off, and I drove all night back to Atlanta. The next day, I had signs all over my yard, a big sheet, Phillies World Champs stretched across my front yard, and everybody was, people were there just screaming and hollering. So I had my own parade, but unfortunately, it was back in Atlanta. What the rest of the team saw was a sea of Phillies fans from Center City to South Philly. And that's what it looks like. It's the New Year's Day parade and great Philadelphia Thanksgiving parade all rolled into one. And again, look at how hospitable everyone is to one another. After a long and euphoric trip down Broad Street, a crowd of about 100,000 greeted the Phillies at John F. Kennedy Stadium, right next to the vet. You know, you make that turn and head down broad, and all you see is people, people, people. Left fielder, Greg Luzinski. I mean, just lined up, sticking out windows, yelling, and then making the turn and going to JFK Stadium with a you know, big stadium, and it was full. I mean, it was totally full. And now the guys that brought, for the first time in 97 years, a world championship to Philadelphia. It was the greatest thing I've ever experienced. Philly's PR director, Larry Shank. There were people climbing traffic lights, sitting on traffic lights, people in trees, people sitting on windowsills, people on balconies with high rises, people leaning out of buildings, people everywhere. And everybody had a smile. It was unbelievable. They were yelling, thank you, thank you, to the floats as we would go by. Philly's broadcaster, Chris Wheeler. The game ends so late, we, we had to be at the art museum at like 8 o'clock. You know, it, it was like, oh, jeez, you know, what are we doing? Everybody's looking at each other. Ooh. And they took us from the art museum there, and we got on these floats, and it's still quiet. We hit Market Street. Oh, my God. Once we hit that, boy, you talk about an adrenaline rush. I don't care if I had three hours sleep or two hours sleep or whatever I had that night. Boy, you were into it. And then going down Broad Street was great. And then there were those open areas. And we're thinking, well, that's that. That's, oh, my goodness. And then we go to AFK, and there's another 90 or 100,000 people in there. And eh, you talk about the adrenaline rush again. Oh. He's battled just about everybody, and he's a winner. And he certainly proved it in this World Series. Philly's shortstop, Larry Boa. To ride on that float was unbelievable. And to see tears in people's eyes saying, my grandfather was crying. I wish my, my, my dad was alive to see this. Seeing all those mixed emotions, uh, it made things even better because, you know, we worked really hard for it. And to see how many people we made happy, not only ourselves, but all the fans that have been loyal fans. This is probably the greatest moment in my entire life. And I'm glad that I can share it with the greatest fans in baseball. Thank you. Most valuable player of the 1980 World Series. He'll be the most valuable player of the National League. Michael Jack Smith. Unbelievable. Can't believe that uh, people had this kind of a passion for us. We kind of set the standard. Uh, and it, they've all gotten bigger and better since. But it was us that, uh, you, you know, to understand the, the feelings of the sports fans in Philadelphia. Y'all show me your true colors today. I never saw so many sincere faces in that parade in my life as I did today. 
take this world championship and savor it, because you all deserve it. In the last game against Houston, which got the Phillies in the World Series, and a slide at home plate, our catcher was injured badly. He could barely walk after the game from the fourth inning on, yet he caught six more innings. He was so exhausted he almost fell afterwards. Talk about courage. Phillies catcher, Bob Boone. The highlight for me was the parade. Well, it was just, it was unbelievable. And the fact that I was able to take my wife and family, you know, all the boys on that, on that trip down Broad Street was, I don't know, it's very emotional for me, as you can probably tell, but it was, it was just, uh, it was just incredible. I just want to thank all of you people for allowing me to earn a living playing a game that I love and to give me the opportunity to stand here today as part of a world champion. Thank you. Phillies World Champions of Baseball. We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. Exhaustion. Exhilaration. Relief. The 1980 Phillies felt plenty of emotions when the parade concluded and their championship series was over. A team thought to be over the hill. A team on the verge of being blown up. A team that couldn't get along with its own manager. A team picked fourth in its own division. A team down two to one on the road in the NLCS. And a team that carried the hopes of nearly a century of fandom. The 1980 Phillies were all of those things. At the end of the year, they were also champions. They inspired millions, etched their place in history, and finally, finally, gave Phillies fans a win to end their season. In 1980, the Philadelphia Phillies were a team that wouldn't die. 40 years later, they're a team whose legacy will live forever. Thanks for listening to this season of Phillies Throwbacks. I'm your host, Scott Palmer. This season was written and edited by Graham Foley, with additional footage provided by David Katai. The song in the opening of this episode was Ain't No Stopping Us Now, single version, performed by McFadden and Whitehead, and recorded by Philadelphia International. Special thanks to Bob Boone, Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, Greg Luzinski, Del Unser, Larry Christensen, Marty Bystrom, Ron Reed, Chris Wheeler, and Larry Shank for the interviews you have heard throughout this season. Be sure to subscribe to Philly's podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts to listen to our other engaging audio selections. To find your next episode, go to phillies.com backslash podcasts. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.